Today's show is brought to you by Takamini Guitars. Check them out online at takamini.com. Welcome to this episode of Under the Marquee, coming to you from Nightbird Recording Studios in the underground of the Sunset Marquee Hotel in West Hollywood, California. My name is Chris Cope, and I've been producing an acoustic showcase called Live at Sunset Marquee for the past 10 years. The show features some of the best independent artists from around the country, and we just happen to have one of those here with us today. podcast goes out to my good friend Lisa Crampton who says I never have country western music playing so uh, Casey Lansdale welcome to our podcast under the marquee hey thanks for having me hi Lisa thanks, <laughs> thanks for the support you know it takes a village it's not easy um, she'll probably never hear this because she never supports me <laughs> let's see if she does that's a very very beautiful song and um, you know I uh, haven't heard you perform in a while uh, I love the lyrics um, tells a really cool story, and um, wow, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I wrote that um, a couple years ago with Anna Christina, who is actually a really talented singer-songwriter musician who used to live in L.A., and the reason that we ended up being connected is she ended up marrying my producer, John Carter Cash. So I was out in L.A., I was doing some work in film and television for music, and I wasn't even living here yet. It, the idea was not quite in my head. And she and I were writing that song over Skype, and I was actually playing the Live at Sunset show yeah. uh, that same week. So there was a lot of little things where that tied into my knowing you and now sitting here with you several years later. So that song was kind of the catalyst for a lot of different things in many different ways. Yeah, that's... Um... I love the way you tied in live at Sunset Marquee. Thanks for That's that. That's right. It's a, an unintentional, intentional plug. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, you are, uh, you were mentioning, uh, is it this song or the other one that's uh, part of the television show? Um, 
actually neither of the songs that let's see I'm trying to think what the other one is neither of the songs that we're playing are going to be part of the TV show I have other songs on my album that have been part of different Uh, films different television shows but I really wanted to do that particular song not only because of the connection to LA the connection to you but because it's Halloween time you know it's it's kind of a good tie-in and uh we were talking a little bit before that there's uh, the new Creep Show television uh, series that used to be the television show, the Stephen King movie. Yeah. And they've redone it. They revamped it, made it into different episodes. And fortunately, they chose a story that I had written with my father and brother um, years and years ago. I mean, a long time ago. And they adapted it, and it's coming out this week on the uh, Thursday. I guess that's the 17th. So oh, okay. I don't know when this will air, but I'm really excited. So I'm like, let's talk about Halloween. Let's talk about Ghost. You know, <laughs> it's it's just you do stuff, and you very rarely get to see it come to fruition and have something to, to hold or something to see. So when you do, you know, you got you to gotta run with it and enjoy it. Yeah, well, um, outstanding. Um, so... You are, um, you're a very, uh, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, diverse individual. Music isn't <laughs> your only thing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because it, if I wish that in my heart I could focus on one art and just drive hard on that, but that's not what the heart wants. You know, I, yeah. I also write fiction. Um, I do a little acting from time to time. I, of course, do the singing, the songwriting. I'm interested in how the art wants to come out of me. And if it wants to be a song that day, great. If it wants to be a story, great. And I realized a long time ago that fighting it was not going to work because I was just going to get to the same end but with a lot more heartache. So I may as well just say, you know what? Let it be what it wants to be. So uh, I'm always interested in people that are as artistic as you. And um, I think about, uh, actually, my daughter sometimes. I wonder why... uh, why she's even in school because God knows she doesn't pay attention, but she's very artistic. And I always wonder, um, were you, did you get good grades in school or did you just kind of like, were you distracted with, with music and art and writing? In college, I did really well. I really thrived in the college environment. In high school, not so much because um, in, this is going to sound a little precocious, but it's true. I had already surpassed what high school could provide for me. So by the time that I was a junior in high school, I was also a freshman in college. So they had put me in that program. So when I graduated high school, I was starting my junior year of college as a a freshman, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, what was like, was it music related major or what? Um, I actually was a social work major because at that time, now they have a great program, ironically enough, but at that time, the college in my hometown only had Uh, classical music as an option for music. Now they have a recording uh, option. They have so many other things, but I always have been drawn to people and wanting to hear their story and want to help them and share that message. And I think that's why songwriting and fiction writing has been such a big part of my life because I want to hear that story and I want to take it and share it. And maybe it's, um, it's my own take on it or my own perception of that story, but other people's lives and their stories fascinate me. And I thought social work would be something that would allow me to give back. And I very quickly realized that I am much too soft for that. And you have to have a different, you have to have a different constitution that I don't have. And I was still pursuing that, but I ended up going on tour with Ray Price as my very first tour. And I called my parents and I said, well, I can't do college and tour at the same time. And my parents were like, cool. So have fun on tour. Wow. And that was it. 
and um, were they always that supportive? Always. My my family's a creative family, so they were always like, you know what, just do what makes you happy and try to pay your rent. <laughs> you know, just you got to do what you got to do sometimes, and it may not always be fun, but you know, try to try to do the things that bring you joy more than not. Yeah. So your family has a background in music? My family doesn't really have a background in music. I guess you could say my uncle recorded at Sun Records um, years oh, really? ago. So my uncle is 17 years older than my father. Okay. So he unsuccessfully recorded at the same time as Johnny, as Elvis, yeah. and, you know, knew all those same guys. Sure. Uh, he had gone in and given a demo tape, and they gave him a little feedback, and he got his feelings hurt and packed up his suitcase and went home. No. And it... Yeah, and it could, and then he joined the military and so yeah. on and so forth. So it could have been a different story, but it wasn't. So that's that's the musical background. But my father's an author, so I grew up in a household of creativity. My mother's an editor. She wrote for a little while. Uh, she was also a first female dispatch in our town for the police department, the fire department. So she had her own varied career, but it was always a line of support of creativity. Hmm. It was always do what makes you happy, and if that's Doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, Godspeed. Wow, sounds like a family of trailblazers. Yeah, it, for better or for worse, you know. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I wish they'd have been more like, just go to college, get your degree, and be a doctor, you know, because then I would have had a, a more clear path, I guess, in my mind. But my heart wouldn't have lined up with that anyway. So you know, yeah. here, here we sit. <laughs> <laughs> um, where in Texas are you originally from? I'm from Nacogdoches, Texas. Love to say that. I Nacogdoches. Know. It's the oldest town in Texas. Is it? That's what it's on the T-shirt, so I believe it. <laughs> you know, with the, the T-shirts are printed. There's no going back. The internet said so. The, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a, a question. I've been. I'm, I'm a little critical of today's um, music industry. Um, and uh, take a number. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's really uh, the reason I have. Uh, you know, I produced the Live at Sunset Mercury series, and the reason I started this podcast is I, I really do want to introduce uh, my world or the world to uh, amazing artists like yourself, and um, that, for whatever reason, are not you know breaking through. And your music, I I, I know why, um, because can you tell me? Because I don't. Yeah, because <laughs> because. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> because there's a template that you have to follow, and you don't. Oh, um, that's true, yeah. I mean, it, it's really, the. I keep saying this, and my friends are like, stop using that word, but um, it's really the homogenization of music, and it drives me insane. And um, country music has really, like, catapulted into that just horrific sound of of homogenized music lately i just can't even i can't even turn it on anymore you know and I, as much as i hate to say it i don't listen to much current music either specifically country music yeah uh, and it, it is hard because you know the the music i mean i don't want to be like the old lady that's like you know back in my day because <laughs> you know i'm sure we all feel that way about sure. the music that we grew up with but I, I really do feel like the essence of country music has been lost. And there's that great documentary that just came out that Ken Burns yes. put out. And, you know, country music sales catapulted mm. because people, especially the younger generation, are being exposed to music they didn't even know existed. Because country music, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've played a show and people say, well, I don't like country music, but I like what you do. Yeah. And in my <laughs> head, I'm like, well. 
I'm yeah. doing country music. Yeah. It's just not what you know to be country music. But there's there's bro country, there's red dirt country, there's Texas country, there's Nashville country, there's singer songwriter country. You know, it's all country. And outlaw. Yeah, yeah, outlaw. I mean, country music is supposed to be the music of the working man, hmm. and no matter how it's put across, people connect to that. So I'm always happy if people are selling music, no matter whether I like it or not, sure. because that means music is selling. But I do think that people have in their mind that country music is for the ignorant, country music is for the unwise, country music is only for people from small towns. And that is true, but country music is for people who have heart and who work hard. And I believe that that is most people. Uh, I would have to agree. I mean, there's a... Um there is definitely, I mean, my own upbringing, being a military brat, um, country music was, I was born, you know, raised on country music. I mean, all the way back to like the Statler Brothers and Barbara Mandrell. And I still listen to the Statler Brothers today. I mean, I just, I love that music. And, and what I found is, and, and not just country music, as we were saying, but, you know, pop music, um, even hip hop. I mean, it's, it's, it's so programmed that there's really very, very little art that goes into it. And the songwriting is, oh, my Lord. Right. Um, there's hardly any lyrics in some of these songs. Um, and it's just really, it's disappointing. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the performance. Um, and these people can perform. I mean, uh, um, but I always love hearing uh, the, uh, the background of these artists that I don't like their music. And then I find out, you know, a little bit more about mm -hmm. them. Like Lady Gaga. I hate that music. But. She's a really amazing artist and an incredible vocal pipes. Um, and unfortunately, it's eclipsed by things like the meat suit. Yeah. You know, but here here we sit and talk about Lady Gaga knowing who she is. You know, everybody sure. knows Lady Gaga. And it's interesting you say that because you think about like the early Jimmy Rogers songs. Like a lot of those beats were the slave songs. You know, a lot of the early 50s and 60s Motown. That was like the chain gang. Sure. So all of that music is connected. And if people unfortunately labels have to exist so that you can identify what you're doing. And also because the industry specifically is very excited about putting a label on things. Yeah. <laughs> and even beforehand, I was asking a guy like, what kind of music do you do? And it's always a hard thing to answer, Yeah. but you want to have something to identify. But people unfortunately sometimes get so lost in the label that instead of saying, Oh, country music can be this, this, or this. They say country music is only this one thing. And I've made up my mind and, you know, we're programmed to, to have in our mind what something is. And it's really hard to change, yeah. which is, you know, why politics is always very exciting. It's why, you know, family dinners at Thanksgiving, you know, we all have in our mind what something is and you're hard pressed to get someone to see the other side of it. But finding people like you who are interested in multiple genres and who can say, you know what, I don't like, for example, what Lady Gaga does here, but I can appreciate that she's an artist and I can appreciate that she has talent. The more that people are able to have that conversation, the more that other people are going to lift up and kind of break through that glass ceiling of having to be homogenized. Wow. Um, well articulated. I, I do think there's a resurgence um, of interest in people finding and discovering new music. Um, I, uh, I think that's probably why like Pandora and Spotify are as popular. I mean, th it's one reason, obviously, not the reason. But um, I love just I'll punch in the name of an artist uh, and let Pandora run with it. And I'll sit there and listen to it for hours and I'll mark the names of the artists that I want to hear more from. And um, it's really it's 
it for those of you that don't do that you're missing out on so much great music out there and and so you know so much fulfillment you know from the music industry if you just listen to what's on the radio you're missing so much well most people want to hear the same song over and over again they want to read the same book over and over again because they want something familiar they want something mm. comfortable and something that they know because anything outside of that box might be just a little bit too scary <laughs> yeah and and in a way i understand that sometimes you just want something that's comfortable and it's familiar and that makes you feel good but if you only live in that space then you're just kind of inbreeding with yourself after a while and you don't really get to elevate beyond that little now deranged family circle <laughs> if you will wow. little southern inbreeding and deranged <laughs> <laughs> family <laughs> you have another song that we're going to cue up here um and it's called sorry ain't enough and tell us a little bit about that song and the inspiration behind it before oh, we cue that up. Sorry and Enough was the single off my first full record, Restless. And, uh, you know, it was actually right in the midst of, at the time, a split. And uh, even though the storyline of the song is not accurate, it was really a lot of the things I wanted to say. And, you know, I, I definitely don't want every song of mine to be like... a come across as like yay women boo man because that's not <laughs> that's not who I am at all but I think it was important in this moment in my life to say I am coming through a new chapter I am rising above things that have hurt me and no matter what you do sorry ain't enough and yeah that's on that's on the breakup side but it's it's really about that I need to put myself forward and I need to stop having excuses for myself because I can only say oh I'm sorry I didn't put myself forward so many times to where I'm not kind of living my bliss and following my joy. And that was what the true song was about. Okay. But it's more fun to, to have a breakup. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cue the breakup. Well, looky here what the cat drug in. I heard you might have lost your new girlfriend And knock, knock, knock Guess who's at my door Now you're talking like you've lost your mind Standing here handing me the same old lines How you want to go back to what we had before Say there's nothing that you won't do To prove your love Well, why don't you Got some attitude in that song. That is fantastic. Thank you. I'm slightly sassy. <laughs> <laughs> slightly sassy. Yeah. Um, wow. That was really um, very powerful, though. I, I get what you're saying in terms of uh, it's about me and and pushing forward and taking control of my life and not letting you know your emotions be dictated by other people. Right. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> okay. Well, we're done here. <laughs> and we're out. Yeah. We're out. You have a residency at. The Grove here in L.A.? Yeah, so uh, Brian Viglione, who's uh, with us here, he, myself, and a guy named Vince White, we play every Sunday at Mixology 101, which is at The Grove. And uh, it's a really great 
event that they do. It's called Saddle Up Sunday. And they've really been good to us on just letting us kind of do what our vibe is. And it's a newer residency, so in a way, we're still kind of finding what our vibe is. Yeah. But it's been really great to, uh, I mean, I met Brian because of it, and he's a very, as you'll know soon, uh, a talented musician, wonderful person. It's been a real pleasure to kind of dive forward on that. And then um, Vince and I have played together for a while, the uh, guy who plays guitar and harmonica. Mm-hmm. And it's been just a really great evolution because also doing that gig, Brian and I started talking and we started to come up with the idea to create our own little side thing. And uh, that's been in the works and we're kind of pushing that forward and really excited about it. And that's all about touching on the music that, like we were talking about, you kind of dive into the music that people grew up listening to and like who their influences were. And that's all about what that other little side group is, is about these are the the pioneers of rock and roll, you know, the, the Wanda Jacksons, the Bo Diddleys, and, hmm. and kind of using that sound and putting it forward. So it's been a real blessing to have that, and uh, they've been real good to us. So I'm very excited about it. And how long have you been doing that? Oh, it started in September, I think. Yeah, September. So it's not been too long. Okay. And... Uh, they it's they started the 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 Sunday uh, what's the saddle it up Sunday saddle up yeah. Sunday they just started that in September they, yeah they you know I came in I did an audition I sang for them and they loved the country vibe and they said there's nothing like this going on right now so let's just brand it and move it forward and that's what they've done we need um, more live music in this town in good places wouldn't you agree yeah <laughs> I just absolutely. Feel like, um, the places where we have live music, there are a few good ones. I feel like we need more, and we need more blues and country. I won't fight any right. of those things. You know, <laughs> when people ask me what I do, I usually say country blues because it, it softens their fear of country, sure. but also lets them know that, you know, there's a true essence of that deep rock and roll, that deep blues. I mean, growing up in East Texas, you can't not be influenced by the blues no matter what you're doing, because you're just seeped in it. There's so much history there. I mean, you drive down the street, there's statues of Lightning Hopkins. All, you know, I mean, you're just surrounded by it. So whether I want for it to be or not, I'm definitely at my core country blues. Very cool. Now, Brian, you are nodding your head a lot. I got to ask you, I know your background is with a couple of pretty popular bands that are not country music. <laughs> Tell <laughs> me a little bit about like how did you make that transition and how did you end up at the at the Grove? Well, I um, traditionally I've listened to all types of music. My father brought me to see the Elvin Jones Jazz Machine when I was 11 years old, which was an absolutely transcendent experience for me. Yes. Um, Elvin became sort of the, the pinnacle hero of mine and main guiding musical influence in terms of his attitude and passion for music. And I was always kind of encouraged to just keep a really open ear and open mind about music. So I listened to everything, country, classical, you know, blues, rock, metal, punk, you name it, reggae, down the line. And um, so moving to L.A. in April... Um, after 11 young, long, arduous years in New York was a very eye-opening, exciting experience. And when Casey's um, friend Alex said, hey, we got this opportunity, I thought, this is great. I would love to go play some country, anything. Just as long as people are passionate about getting out and playing, I want in. Oh, wow, cool. So you just moved to L.A. in April? That's correct. Um, And how do you like it so far? I absolutely love it. Do you? I feel like a complete moron for not moving here sooner. I was one of the typical <laughs> East Coast people yeah. under the impression of all the sour cliches that you hear about, oh, this and that, and all these like ridiculous rumors that go around. And I've, I've been coming to L.A. and loving playing in L.A. since 2003. 
the Dresden Dolls did our first show at the Viper Room in 2003, and since then I've had a marvelous history with the audiences here. Always yeah. loved playing. Uh, you know, every place has its pros and cons, and I do think that uh, um, L.A. has an, a little bit of an unfair reputation of being douchey, um, <laughs> and there are plenty of them here. I mean, sure. don't get me wrong, but um, uh, it, it's a very uh, small audience in terms of the overall audience out here, so I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that, but Tell me, do you know why the the music scene in, in New York is shriveling up like that? I think it's a confluence of a bunch of different factors. One, starting with um, maybe a lack of regular live music audiences where, as probably discussed in numerous articles, you know, the tradition on weekends would be people to go congregate at a bar, go see a band, hang out with your buddies, this, that, and the other thing. Now people are much more prone to either Netflix and chill or go to the said dance club DJ night um, rather than go out and see like a new live band on a, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and that makes it difficult on club owners. So clubs shut down. We've seen prices obviously for rent all over the country, but particularly in New York skyrocket. Drink prices went from, I mean, I kid you not, from $6 for a beer to, in some places, sit down, $18 for a can of beer at certain Brooklyn places, which shall remain nameless. Well, but, I mean, but so that to is be a fair, that is Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> when you've got the, the, the high-quality markets, uh, you, know, you know, what can you do? But uh, Hey, with, no offense to PBRs. Flow. Exactly. But, I mean, that obviously becomes a deterrent for people, it being an affordable thing to go out and support live music in certain ways. You just have to, as a musician or as any person in with a particular lifestyle, you got to go, you know, where the... Uh, where the resources are. And right now, I think L.A. feels to me like an incredibly resource-rich, diverse music scene with a lot of supportive people with good attitudes and clubs to foster it. So yeah. I'm stoked. Um, Nashville feels that way, too. And Casey, you used, to, you used to live there, right? Yeah, and I left Nashville for similar reasons. You know, I mean, and it's funny you're talking about Boston. Even I'd done a run on the East Coast I don't know, I guess it was three years ago. And then when I went back recently, I reached out to some of those same club owners and most of them had closed. You know, the Johnny D's, the everything in the Somerville area it was done. They were gone and it hasn't been that long. Um, but for Nashville, I just kind of felt like Nashville is, if you're visiting Nashville because you want to visit the city, it's a great place to do that. But what I see is such an abuse of the artists there because if you go down on Broadway, there's tons of very, very talented people who are all playing for tips. Yeah, I got I to gotta just interrupt you. Um, I hadn't been to Nashville in probably 20 years until I went there about nine months ago, maybe a year ago. It's changed so much. Broadway is horrible. It's awful. It reminds me of a really bad impression of Bourbon Street. Yeah. I will tell you, though, that I heard a lot of great music. But yeah, they're working for you're tips. not you're not lacking for talent there. That's no. not the problem. But the problem is all these people are playing for free. They're playing for tips. They're playing hoping to be heard. And what that does is saturate the market with people who are very talented who will play for free. So why would they pay somebody who's talented to to, you know, do it as a living when sure. they can just go down and hear it? And the idea is that, you know, you'll be discovered or someone will hear you. But most of the record execs, all those people, they're home with their family. Yeah. They're not out trolling <laughs> not. Broadway at 8 p.m., 10 p.m. Yeah. You know, they're they're doing their thing. And in these days, it's you have to have a buzz surrounding you now before they'll look at you. And now most of that buzz is going to come from things like America's Got Talent or The Voice. And all of those audition processes are so arbitrary and often staged and not what 
the audience doesn't g- understand what's really happening. Yeah. And most of those people have already had a record deal from back when there was some money and there was things going on and they've been dropped and this is their moment to kind of like use their moderate fan base to elevate back. So there's there's so much behind the scenes that people think, oh, it's just you get on YouTube, you get discovered or you get on The Voice and you get discovered. But there's so many things behind it that people really don't understand the inner workings. And like he was saying, if you're not being discovered on that kind of platform and, and you have to be on a Spotify list or whatever, and you're, and you want to get on those lists, you have to sound like that person to, you know, it's, it's like all convoluted and clearly people are still doing it. But if I had the answer on how to do it, I would do it, you know, Uh, but I feel like I have an answer that I'm not satisfied with (laughs) because I don't want to just fall in line. I want to do the music that brings me joy. And I feel like that's a, a, a genuine thing to follow because I see that it connects to people. Let's just call it what it is. It's okay. It's the way of the world. But we here sort of like on the ground need to just remember to keep pushing forward. And I would like to plug a particular LA uh, booking um, house show agency called Artery, which I think is a fantastic reason. I think that's fantastic. I have long since actually coming to play LA in 2008 when one of the promoters said, it's been killer. All these kids just sort of, you know, pregame at their house and then they come out for last call and we just seem like sales diminish. Like to make sure that people are out there as a whole setting up shows, promoting shows, attending shows and playing and positions like that where people can host their own events are absolutely essential. That takes the place of the all ages punk club or the, you know, the church down the street or that kind of thing. So as long as that whole ecosystem is being fostered, we have a chance and that can help artists like us move forward. Well, and that's where like house concerts, excuse me, house concerts and things like that have started to come in handy because I've played more house venues and backyard venues than I ever thought possible. And those are the best because they're the people who are there because they want to hear music, not because there's a ball game on. They came because they want to hear music. They're happy to pitch in to, uh, you know, be a part of that audience. They buy the merch because they're excited about it. I mean, you're right. It's finding those, it's finding a new way to have that venue, even if it's a smaller scale than what has been in in the past. Yeah, I um I I really do enjoy going to those those house venue little gatherings and um uh, yeah, it reminds me a lot of of the type of music that I that I discover by virtue of what I get to do um in my job, but um you're going to play a song for us and while they're setting up for that, you you were saying something a few minutes ago, Brian, that made me remember this conversation I had with somebody not too long ago about well, what does success look like to you? And I have this friend that's moving out from Canada, and his daughter is a very good musician. And they're like, oh, we're moving out to L.A. And I was like, why? <laughs> you know, I, I anticipated hearing from him, well, that's where we need to be, you know, to, to, for her music career. And so I asked him, I'm like, well, why do you think it, you know, what does success look like to you? You know, because I don't think that a lot of artists sometimes think about what success is going to look like for them because Casey I know you write a lot you write a lot of music I mean I know you also write literature but you write a lot of of songs and so and I know other artists that write a lot their their music has been recorded and um, they've you know got publishing or licensing deals and stuff like that and I just said to him you know make sure that you understand what success is going to look like for her because it may not be in the big city lights you know kind of a thing so I think, you know, when people ask me that question, my answer is being able to pay my bills comfortably. Yeah. Like, I would love to just be able to continue that path, not have to get a nine to five, be able to do the things that follow joy, because 
as long as you're moving forward comfortably, the rest will come. Yeah. You know, and if, if it goes to another stratosphere, great. If it doesn't, as long as I'm not having to dig ditches or, you know, do the work that I set out to start with, like the social work, which bless them, you know, it's, it's not derogatory at all. It's just me knowing what I can and cannot do. As long as I'm able to move forward and, and live a life of passion and freedom that's reasonable, mm-hmm. then that's, that's success. And I think people, you're right, they, they want it to be like Beyonce style and, you know, good on her. But when you, when you watch what she had to go through to be Beyonce, you think like, hmm, childhood was pretty cool. <laughs> At least mine was, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. And well said. Tell us a little bit about this song. So this is the new single. I'm pretty excited about it. We've only played it a, a handful of times, and uh, we're actually doing the live debut this Wednesday. Um, it'll probably be passed by the time the podcast comes out, but it's at Hotel Cafe. Oh, okay. Uh, it'll be full band. Brian Viglione will be there, Vince White, um, Eric Curtis, Alexander Burke. We're really looking forward to it. And it's actually a song that was and it was started out in like a style of the Carters. Mm-hmm. It's very 70s country, and then... It, it has been tweaked a lot to be sort of that swampy um, country blues that, you know, I, I gravitate towards. So it's called Good Girl, and I uh, hope you like it. Yeah. I remember as a young are a good time but eventually they'll leave find yourself a good boy one who won't break your heart cause if you love a bad boy mm. first good girl loves a bad boy and the bad boy makes her cry and then the good girl becomes a bad girl cause she's learned how to lie then the bad girl finds a good boy and leaves him broken hearted And that's how the good girl, bad boy, bad girl, good boy thing gets started. In this life, there's a lot of lessons you will learn. Sometimes it's a hard way, and sometimes you get burned. Every time you break high, you're making a heartbreak. Another love goes up in flames Here comes the undertaker First a good girl loves a bad boy And the bad boy makes her cry And then the good girl becomes a bad girl Cause she's learned how to lie Then the bad girl finds a good boy And leaves him broken hearted And that's how the good girl, bad boy, bad girl, good boy thing gets started First a good girl loves a bad boy And the bad boy makes her cry Then the good girl becomes a bad girl Cause she's learned how to lie Then the bad girl finds a good boy And leaves him broken hearted And that's how the good girl, bad boy, bad girl, good boy thing gets started First a good girl loves a bad boy And the bad boy makes her cry And then the good girl becomes a bad girl Cause she's learned how to lie Then the bad girl finds a good boy And leaves him broken hearted And that's 
Was outstanding. Thank you. Um, it's so funny hearing it in that way. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> All right, I made it through without it, uh, any broken bones. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed yeah. it. That was uh, so. You've got a you've got the feel for country music, which is uh, surprising because you're well, and you were fantastic on guitar, and you're a drummer. <laughs> pretty pretty successful with your drumming career. In terms of doing projects that I love to do, and uh, by yeah, as you were mentioning before, my measure of success is. Um, really just being able to be engaged as much as possible in projects that feel really fulfilling. I had an experiment one time where I played in a band just because I needed a gig and it was really difficult. And I told myself I wouldn't do that again and sort of sacrifice the fun I know I can have just to have whatever, some money coming in or something like that too. And I tried to use that experience as a learning opportunity. But I've been exceptionally lucky to play with artists whose music I feel akin with. And the music stuff, I mean, I love Hank Williams and Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and the Leuven Brothers and, you know, Patsy Cline and Down on the Line, like all that kind of stuff, too. If it's if it's good music with passion and heart behind it, I, I'm fully there. And I'm going to just say, I called him. So I... I had another guy actually was supposed to play in the residency and I called Brian through our friend, Alexander. I, I texted Alexander. I said, I can feel a bail coming on. I need help because I, I can feel it coming. <laughs> and I texted Brian at, I guess it was 5 PM that night. We, we chat 30 minutes later for, I don't know, 10 minutes. I send him all the stuff. We have rehearsal at noon the next day. He comes in, knows every song, hits every mark. And I just sat there like, Ugh. Like my, my jaw hit the floor. I've never, never in my life played with somebody who came in that prepared and that efficient on that short of time. Wow. And I've played with some like really great musicians, but the, the passion and the heart that he brings is unmatchable. And that's why, I mean, I, and I even told you this, like meeting him got me re-excited about music in a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. Because it's easy to kind of get in those ruts and you kind of play with the same people and you just start feeling like, okay, I'm just making this same circle of venues and here we are. And having somebody come in with such like passion and life to it really like kicked it back up and uh, got me excited about performing again. I was going to say unmatched, probably not the best word because it's matched in your vocals and you're, and you're just like everything. That's nice. Of everything you. about you. your personality is like really upbeat and excited. <laughs> okay, so where can we find your music? So um, everything of mine is Casey Lansdale. Uh, that's social medias, the Instagrams, Facebook. Um, Twitter has currently locked me out, so that's touch and go. But K-A-S-E-Y-L-A-N-S-D-A-L-E.com has everything. Okay. And the same here, uh, BrianViglione.com, and obviously Facebook and Instagram, uh, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, lots of projects coming up too. So. And Brian, spell your first and last name. B-R-I-A-N-V-I-G-L-I-O-N-E. Check them both out. Follow them. Follow our podcast. Thanks for having <laughs> us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm super excited to, uh, to hear your uh, live music. That's a wrap on this episode of Under the Marquee. To hear more great music from other independent artists, visit us at live at sunsetmarquee.com, where you can also RSVP for one of our upcoming shows. I'm your host, Christopher Cope, and remember, the best music in the world is seldom heard between 88 and 108.